My name is Haley Shepherds, and I'm the Outreach Minister here at Hope Ames. And I've been here for around here for about four years, uh, and it's been great. I love Hope Ames, and I love being a part of this church body. Um, we're talking about uh, the Mark today. We're going to be diving into On the Move with Mark. Um, and Mark, the book of Mark has been, we've been going the past three weeks, and we are flying through Mark. So we're going to cover a lot of ground today, so hang in there with me. Uh, but we're going to, that clip maybe alluded to it a little bit. We're going to be talking about charity, and we're going to take a closer look at what charity is, what generosity is, and how God calls us to these things in a healthy, spiritually healthy way, not necessarily pressure, guilt-based, shame-based. Um, and so we're going to be diving into that. But I want to say, preface this with, here at Hope, we're, we always say we're not a perfect church. We don't have it all together. We don't have all the answers. But one thing we do take really, really seriously is giving. We take very um, seriously your donation dollars that you give to our church. And so I'm not going to make this entire sermon about all the accountability and transparency that we are committed to. That's going to be preached in later sermons throughout the year. Uh, but if you have questions about that, come into our office. We would love to talk to you about that. Because uh, I know that churches, when it comes to giving, there's two sides of that coin. There is communities across the world that have been deeply impacted by church giving, by people within the church giving their time, uh, their money, their resources uh, to help the world around them. And it is incredible what we do when we come together. And there is the other side of this coin where we've heard story after story over the past years and over history of how sometimes that money has been abused and misused and we need to be careful. But I want to be uh, give 100% credit where credit is due. And Hope Ames, you are a generous, generous congregation. And we see it time and time again with every missions project we do. I mean, just this summer, we had about 60 refugee kids uh, come into the United States and they landed in Iowa. And we stepped up last minute and we said, you know, we want to provide them an opportunity uh, to go to camp. And so the Des Moines Y Camp, we have Sean Gunnerson here, who's the director there. Um, and he actually attends Hope Ames. He invited us to help us um, welcome them. And so we provided over 60 camper kits for these kids. There was 16 items in each bag, and that was over $7,500 worth of items that you donated so those kids could go to camp. You were so generous, in fact, that each kid got a $10 gift card to the camp store. I mean, your generosity just continues to grow. You continue to give food monthly to Edwards and Mitchell Elementary. You just donated thousands and thousands of food items like we heard in announcements for the Super Bowl food drive. And then in two weeks, we're hosting a trivia event for Wings of Refuge. That's in March. And it doesn't start, stop there in April. We're going to do a meal packing event. We're going to need 200 volunteers. And we are going to package 150,000 meals. I mean, it just keeps going. And it's not just the adults that are giving, it's the kids who have done cleanups and who have uh, purchased crackers and hygiene items and who volunteer uh, for service opportunities all the time in our community. And the needs all over the world are met through generosity, through charity. And sometimes we get it wrong. And there are stories in the Bible that have been used historically to really push and pressure churches and God's people to give when it necessarily hasn't been the right heart behind it. And there's a story in the gospel of Mark specifically in Mark chapter 12 that I wanna talk about. It's a story that's widely used to pressure and to guilt individuals into emptying their pockets, uh, pressuring uh, people to, to empty their pockets for a pizza oven or whatever it is to give. And sometimes that 
where the money is going is not necessarily clear. And this is the story. It's about a widow who has two coins and she gives them. Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, this poor woman has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they give a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. This widow has given two coins, and this is a, a, a passage that's used to prop up this widow of like, see, look at her. She is the goal. This is what we strive to be like. And maybe you've heard that story and you've heard churches use that story incorrectly. Have you ever experienced this guilt trip? Maybe you were asked, search your couches, find every last coin. Maybe you were even told, hey, sell your car. Your kids can walk. It's going to be okay. I've heard some crazy stories of things people have heard in churches and the pressures to give the pressure to be generous, the shame that comes with it when you're not able to give, and it's heartbreaking. I have a bad habit of losing things. Every single person in my life knows this. I mean, it is just, it's so bad that it just doesn't even seem real. Like, it's just so unfortunate that I lose everything. This, just this year, I've lost like eight pairs of sunglasses. I've lost my wallet, not once, but twice, like my entire wallet gone. All the cards, all the insurance cards, everything gone. And I have no idea where they went, it's just gone. There's something about a family member borrowing something of yours, like a pair of sunglasses, and when they lose it, oh, it's just a whole level, another level of just disappointment and frustration. It's like we give our, our resources and we give um, opportunities for things to be shared of ours, and when that's lost, when someone else mismanages or misuses the things we have, oh, it just hurts. Even though I know myself, I lose things all the time. But have you been pressured, pressured or coerced to give? In order for us to really understand this story, we have to look at the text before it, text that is often, unfortunately, just left out. It says, beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respect and greetings as they walk into the marketplace, and how they love their seats of honor at the synagogues and the heads of tables at banquets, and yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and pretend to be pious by making long prayers. I love that word, shamelessly. They were shameless about taking from the poor. Jesus is not teaching poor people a lesson about giving in this story. No, it's about pious people who are taking advantage of the poor. If you are down to your last two coins, the church should be giving to you. Religious leaders are not called to guilt you into giving more than you are spiritually ready for. Do you see the greed in this story? It's not about giving. It is a little bit. Jesus calls us to give. But Jesus is calling out greed. And we see that the religious leaders over the course of Mark continually miss their own sickness. Jesus keeps trying to point it out. We read in Mark that healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Let's go ahead and read this together in white. You can read it. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know. The key to generosity isn't just shoving away our greed. That's not what generosity is all about. And so why? Why do you give? 
It's a question I wanna ask, ask you today. I would say everyone in our life, uh, probably everyone in this room has someone in their life that just asks why and you don't understand. Like, what do you mean why? Whether that's a kid who says, you know, well, you have to go to the doctor, why? Or you have to eat your food, why? You'll starve to death, you know, you gotta need your food. I have one person in my life uh, who's always asking why. And it helps me to really think about why I do the things I do. The person that I want to introduce you to is my fiance, Ethan. So I'm officially engaged. You'll see his photo on the next screen. Thank you, thank you. And he's, he's wonderful. Um, and if you didn't know I was dating anyone, it's been a secret for a long time. <laughs> uh, recently, I had actually just given a sermon on singleness, and I cannot tell you just like the pressure of that because I was dating Ethan at the time. We've been friends for 11 years. I've known him for a very, very long time. We've been dating the past four, and I had people coming up to me and like, are you really single? I told them that I checked off single on my tax form, so yes, I was single at the time. So and taxes are back around again, and I'm still single. <laughs> But Ethan, I'll brag about him a little bit. He, he's always asking why. And he asks why because he's an engineer, he's a PhD student at Iowa State, he's in mechanical and electrical engineering, he does machine learning, very different world from what I understand. Um, but it works out great. <laughs> uh, and so for him, he's always asking the why. He wants to know the background behind why we do the things we do and how things work. And it actually challenges me in my theology too to ask why. And so I want to ask you, why give? Let's really think about this. When I have to set up for a women's event, and I tell Ethan, he asks me, well, why? Why do you have to set up for the event? And I can say, well, it's, it's because it's my job. And when I'm writing papers for seminary and I tell him that I can't go out to eat, and he asks me why, <laughs> you know? Well, I need to get my education, that's why. But those answers are just a means to an end. They're just a destination. When we ask this question of why give, I'm not looking for where are we supposed to get or why we do the things we do just to be a means to an end. I think there's something deeper. And I realized when it comes to generosity and giving and serving, it needs to be more than a means to an end because that's what Jesus calls us to. And so I asked another question that really hit me hard. Have you ever resented being generous? Resented giving someone money or possessions, or time, or attention, or aid, or encouragement. I know I have. I've resented being generous, being helpful. Sometimes because I've, I've got burned, and you maybe have to. Maybe we're missing something when it comes to generosity. And I'm gonna share with you three stories today that kind of highlight this. And we'll go through them quickly because I wanna share all three because they're so, so important. And some of you may be familiar with these stories, but I'd invite you to see them in a new light. The first story comes from Mark chapter five. Jesus was traveling with his disciples and a large crowd was following him everywhere. And Jesus went um, and many asked for him to heal them or heal someone that they knew. And that's what was happening in this story. A man asked Jesus to heal his daughter and Jesus agreed to go with him. But that's not what I wanna focus on because amongst this crowd, there was a woman who was following Jesus with the crowd and she had been suffering for 12 years with constant bleeding. 
And she had suffered a great deal from many doctors who, are, who said that they could help her, who said that they were doctors that could heal her. And this woman was most likely abused by those same doctors, doctors that operated on her, doctors that took advantage of her physically. And scripture tells us that they also took advantage of her financially. There was this physical toll that was taken on her body by the experimentation of these doctors, but that didn't help, it actually got worse. And this woman, in her desperation, she heard about Jesus. So she shows up in the crowd and she comes up behind him. And she thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately, the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed. And she came and she fell to her knees. And the story is absolutely about faith. That's what Jesus says to this woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. But there is more. In this story, we also read that Jesus felt his power leave him. That didn't mean that a part of Jesus' body, part of Jesus' power was no longer his. No, his power was doing its purpose. It was doing what it was supposed to do. Heal, bring life to people around him. So we know that Jesus' power is so powerful and so abundant that it overflows out of him. You can't help it. Jesus' generosity comes from his presence and his power. And in this moment, we see a woman who is tired, tired of being taken from, who's tired of greed, who's tired of being taken advantage of and abused. We see this story that in a world that takes and takes, there is still hope. But I wanna ask you, what are you tired of? I'm tired of seeing story after story of kids beating each other up in schools and no one doing anything about it. I'm tired of seeing another child in my hometown die of suicide. I'm tired of hearing about elderly abuse. I'm tired of sexual violence. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And yet this woman is tired. She is resilient. She trusts and she hopes and she reaches for Jesus's robe and trusts that Jesus's generosity will extend to her that Jesus' generosity is powerful and Jesus' presence, that is what generosity is. It's power that does not take, but power that gives, that blesses, that heals, that brings peace. That is what we need when we are tired. We see in Mark the reason that Jesus does this. We shouldn't have an end goal with generosity. Jesus has the end goal. And this is what we read in Mark 10, 45. For even the man, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom of many. We don't need to have a mission when it comes to our generosity outside of Jesus Christ because Jesus takes the mission for us. And that generosity overflows. And sometimes we forget where generosity comes from that God is the host and we are the guests at his table. We see God's generosity from the beginning of creation, that God's generosity is expressed and we get to see creation and abundance and goodness. But 
it's easy to forget that we are guests. It's easy to forget that we need to keep this generous party going. And sometimes the lies about generosity start to slip in. Maybe we think God's holding out on me. God's withholding his generosity and blessing and love for me. Maybe we think that there isn't enough to go around, that it's limited. And maybe we think that I need to take matters into my own hands. We start to get in this mindset of scarcity instead of realizing the bounty, the plentiful, the abundance God has for us. And in our story, our second story that we're gonna dive into, it starts to look like this. These lies start to creep in. We see that Jesus is leaving a town in Galilee in Mark chapter seven, and he was headed north. And he didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Now, if we look at that and we just take it out of context, we might just start to think, Jesus, come on, you're being a little exclusive here. Are you hiding? Are you holding out on the people? Is there not enough power to go around? What are you trying to hide? No, we keep reading. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell to his feet. You simply can't hold the good news of Jesus back. It's a secret that can't help but be shared. And it's wild that we're starting off this story, our second story in Mark, the same place that our first story ended. It's like the story just continues with these women in the Gospel of Mark. I don't believe it's any accident. We see this woman who comes to Jesus. Mark and the Mark's Gospel identifies her as specifically non-Jewish. She's an outsider. And her little girl is possessed by a demon and she's seeking Jesus out because she needs help. And Jesus' response to her is shocking and confusing. He says, first, should I feed the children of my own family, the Jews? It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Wow, that sounds a little offensive, Jesus. Is Jesus a jerk? I don't think so. And I'll show you why. The Jews at this time, the people that are welcome to Jesus' table, who are promised the blessing of God, the Israelites, they would sometimes refer to Gentiles, outsiders, as dogs, and someone who's outside of God's people. And we just can read this and think, oh, you're promoting exclusivity here, Jesus. It doesn't feel very generous. But Jesus sees this woman and knows she is a mother seeking help for her child. And Jesus knows what being in that position is like, what it's like to fight for your children, because that's what Jesus does. He gets it, he understands her, and he cares for his own children. And as the readers and the listeners of this story and those around Jesus who are actually in this story in that moment, they underestimate this woman. Who would ever think to do that? Jesus does not underestimate this woman when the rest of the world underestimates her. She replied, that is true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plate. There's a clear position here those that are blessed. And if you're at that table, it can quickly become your downfall when we take God's blessing for granted, when we start to get messy, when we take God's generosity for granted. And part of being God's guest at the table 
is humbling ourselves, which is what this woman does. God is so generous that even when we fail to witness, fail to receive his love, and fail to give God praise for his generosity, God's love doesn't fail us. It keeps coming at us. It's abundant, it's generous, and it's great. And it's not scarce. This woman does not believe she or her child are promised that generosity and that love and that gift of healing, but she's trusting that she doesn't even need a full meal. The scraps will do because that's how much she trusts Jesus's power of generosity. How easy it is for us to take that meal for granted. The meal that's been prepared for us, Jesus's body that has been broken for us, God's blood that has been shed for us, and the scraps are enough for this woman. Good answer, Jesus says. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. This is one of the few times that Jesus is actually impressed by someone in scripture. Oftentimes there's moments where Jesus just sighs like at his disciples because they just don't get it time and time again. And it's really relatable. I feel that way sometimes too. But Jesus is impressed with this woman because she realizes his power is not reserved or limited. And if any teacher or preacher or news anchor or politician or parent says that God's love God's generosity, God's blessing is not for them, that God's generosity is limited because of a certain race, because of a certain gender, certain level of economic status, social capital, intelligence, body size, age, you name it, that is simply not true. It's not limited. And we are no, in no position to say that God's generosity is not capable of something. We certainly are in no position to tell God who to love and whose generosity and blessing can go to and who it's for. And in fact, we're invited to be as inclusive as God is. And we're gonna end with our last story in our Bible reading. It's about a woman uh, with an alabaster jar. And as we talked about this woman eating the scraps uh, from the table, we see that this woman comes into a home and is led to another table. It's just like that story picks right up again. Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. And she broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. Now Jesus' followers up until this point have been concerned about who Jesus is. Is he the Messiah? Is he just a prophet? Who is this guy? But these women don't seem to question it. They seem to know. They seem to trust. And this woman brings in a valuable jar. Inside this jar, this perfume would have been a year's worth of wages. This is her entire life. This is all she has earned and probably worked for. And she pours it out on Jesus. This, the contents of this jar represent so much more than just a perfume. These contents of this jar represent this woman's life, everything she is, all that she has. And she breaks it open and she pours it over the head of the Messiah, the King, the Savior, God. And what people used to do in the Hebrew Bible is that they would do that to anoint kings. And whether she knew that Jesus was the King or not, 
isn't necessarily important. It's that she felt called to pour everything out for Jesus. And we see that she's immediately criticized because it didn't make sense to the people around her. Some of the people at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they scolded her harshly. She's immediately reprimanded for pouring out her life by those in the room with Jesus. She was condemned, criticized, judged, harassed, shamed. I know I'm too quick to judge. This gesture of a woman breaking open and pouring out the entire value of this expensive perfume, rather than just using a few little drops, shows us how much this woman values Jesus. And then we see how many people are trying to kill Jesus in this story. There's a great contrast. And Jesus replied to these people that are criticizing her. He says, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. Are we so different? Sometimes we aren't curious. We're immediately critical. Sometimes when someone's intentions aren't really clear, we just assume their intentions. What would happen if instead of assume, we just asked? This woman is putting on a display. Is she putting on a show? Is she trying to make a point? Is she trying to get on Jesus' good side? Is it genuine? Is it authentic? I want to invite us to, you can go ahead and go to the next slide. Does it really matter? Does it really matter what her intention was? Does it really matter if it was authentic? Does it matter? No. Are we trying to be holy? Or are we trying to honor one another? Are we sitting at the table and laughing at those who just get the scraps? Are we critical or are we curious? Those at the table that Jesus is at are irritated by this woman's behavior. They do not even consider that what she is doing is an honor to Jesus. They frame her as someone who wastes um, what is valuable rather than helping the poor. And Jesus is not impressed by their false generosity. You will always have the poor among you, Jesus says. And he's not saying, don't help the poor. They'll always be around. That's not what it's saying. It means we live in an upside down world and we are part of making it right side up as a body of Christ. But nothing stands out greater than Jesus' presence in our life. Jesus is saying, and you can go to the next slide too. Jesus is saying that this woman, uh, it will point back the actions of her, the actions that she has poured out, will point back to Jesus. That's the point of this story. Jesus' resurrection. That's what really matters is who Jesus is. And as Jesus is nearing his death, he's about to show us his generous power in action, in a story we know at the cross. But let's take a look at this perfect example of charity. This woman uh, focuses on Jesus in this moment. And I think that's where we need to remain when we think about generosity and giving and serving. Because it's not about the end goal. It's not just because we've always done it. And God's power isn't limited and God's power isn't far from us. It's for us. 
because it fights for us. Jesus asked his disciples in one moment, Mark, and it just struck me. Are you able to drink from this bitter cup of suffering? Do you know my generosity? Because I'm about to take that for you. Are you able to be baptized with the suffering I must be baptized with? Jesus meets us in our desperation and our fear and invites us like that woman to just pour out our life. But Jesus isn't washed with perfume at the end of his life. No, he's, he's not. He's given a cup of suffering. But what amazes me is it's just a cup. This is how much a cup is. It's so small because that's how big God's power is. That's how big God's love is. It's just a cup of suffering to him. And Jesus is gonna take this cup and he's gonna defeat sin and death. And Jesus is gonna have so much power left over that every single one of our jars that we poured out at Jesus' feet is gonna be full. We get to share that blessing and that love with others. That's how great Jesus' generosity is, his power. That's what living, living charitably is and generously. If we're gonna talk about Jesus, we better sound like Jesus. It's something we say around here, I hope, all the time. If we're gonna act like Jesus, we better look like Jesus. We better do the things that Jesus has done. But it has more to do with just giving so that people can be blessed. It has to do with our hearts. Jesus wants to get to the heart of the matter. We are generous people because we have our eyes on Jesus. And giving starts to feel heavy when we give out of our own cup. So let's keep our eyes focused on Jesus because he offers us the greatest act of generosity on the cross. And it's not to be underestimated, but to be understood. And as we sing this last song, I invite you to think about that. You can go ahead and sit if you would like to. You can stand and worship uh, with the band. But I want you to think about these words. So here is my alabaster heart. Here's your cup. Here's your alabaster jar. Are you keeping anything back? Are you keeping anything back from Jesus? There's no treasure to be veiled or key, no lock that's keeping you from receiving this generosity. You are your lifetime of worship and that's just only the start. This is a journey. No matter where you're at, you're welcome. I just want you to know that God's generosity is for you. It's here. And when it fills us up, the world is a better place because of it. So I invite you to go ahead and stand up or sit and we will end worship.